Hey everyone, welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere all good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and joined not by Mark Robinson this week, who's away on assignment, but as well as Toby the dog asleep beside me, I'm joined by the Roman Reigns of audio that is Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you? The inmates are running the asylum this week. Absolutely, mate. The fact that you've brought Toby into this as well still makes me the third cutest member of this podcast, so <laughs> thank you very much for that. Hey, does that make you the bad boy? You know, that like everyone has their role in the boy band? <laughs> the bad boy? No, I'm normally the guy who like was friends with somebody who stands around in the back <laughs> and makes a lot of money. Uh, like You know Joey Fatone from yeah. NSYNC? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's kind of a schlubby guy, but he's funny and he's cool. He's probably pals with someone there, so they were just like, yeah, go on, Joey. You, you go right ahead, mate. <laughs> I bet you didn't think you'd get Joey Fatone reference dropped hot and steaming into the first minute of this podcast. No, but it's, now it's making me think of the Arrested Development Season 3 episode with Andy Richter and his four identical siblings. <laughs> exactly. It's like one of my favorite gags ever because there's like, oh, you know, there's, there's the, the tough one, the cute one, the artsy one. And then there's, uh, I can't remember what the name of the other brother is. Like, he asked us not to show him in this film, in the in this show, but composite pr- photography tells us he'd look something like this. And it just, they just cut out Andy Richter's face and paste it across. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing would have been if they did that and it was revealed to be Gene Parmesan in disguise the whole time. <laughs> Gene! <laughs> exactly. He got me again! <laughs> that's that's deep cut arrested development, folks. Gene is the best. He, Gene was far from the best. <laughs> <laughs> Gene was far from the best. Um, do you know what? I'd love a statesman-like um, voice to do voiceovers. That would just be the greatest. Which kind of ties into what one of the main themes of the show is today, yeah. I would say. is a frustration that I don't sound authoritative or that I'm a good narrator. You don't sound like Ron Howard. <laughs> I don't sound like Ron Howard, no. Um, yeah, later on in the show, we will be talking about, as as Jack alluded to, uh, some of our, our highlights of uh, voice acting in video games. There's some good, some bad, and some ugly to be talked about across the history of uh, acting in video games. And we're going to, that's going to be our big kind of discussion piece this week. Before we get into any of that, though, Jack, just how are you? How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, mate. Just, uh, you know, keeping myself relatively busy, surrounding myself with media products and Mm -hmm. Dr. Pepper Zero and all of the things that usually make me happy. (laughs) How's everything for you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I'm kind of... uh I think this week is the week where I finally start getting through some of that gaming backlog, but we'll we'll talk about that when we get to our, our playing it section. Um, I've been watching some of my comfort shows. Just talked about did it did the full rewatch run of the first three seasons of Arrested Development lately. Um, uh, Community has just arrived on Netflix the day before we uh, we recorded this, and I've been watching. Um, I suppose we get just straight into the shit we've been watching. Um, Jack, I, I today, I only intended to watch one episode of it, but it's just, you just can't look away from the slow motion train wreck that is Sunderland Till I Die. Oh, right, I see. I, I haven't watched it yet. I'm uh, yeah. finishing up a couple of bits and pieces before I get into it. Yeah, so like, I won't, it's it's weird to spoil a thing where I know because the two of us both obsessively follow football, we know exactly the, the fortunes and misfortunes of Sunderland AFC. But for yeah. those who aren't aware, and obviously there's stuff happening inside the club that you won't be aware of going into this show. Um so I won't spoil it too much. But holy God, Jack <laughs> it, Yeah. As a fucking absolute shambles of a club. 
It is. I think, um, so there's quite a few of these now, you know, they did the Amazon have got like the Man City one, there was a Juventus one. And they're currently recording the Spurs one. Oh my goodness, man. (laughs) They've been there the whole season, the end of Pochettino, the arrival of Mourinho, and now, you know, everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, furlough gate. Yeah. My goodness me, is that going to be a documentary series for the ages? <laughs> exactly. But the thing that I love about these series is when shit goes wrong. Like, oh. I've seen successful ones. I've, I've seen NFL films, uh, ones where everything kind of ends on a good note or, or think stuff like that. Or, you know, oh, the Man City one was about the season when Man City were unbelievable. Like, I don't care about that. I just want to see shit go absolutely wrong. Like, so in the first series, for instance, my favourite moment was uh, your man who was the director of the club who lost his job at the at the end of season one. Sorry, spoilers there. Mm. But him just flipping out when he realised that he couldn't, like, get rid of Jack Rodwell and just going into his office, slamming the door and just looking at... just like infuriated and at the same time lack of energy and it was like right that is a real human moment and Mm. i'm surprised that people are letting us get this close inside these organizations but i'm expecting a lot more of the same sort of level of flapping and just general incompetence that there was in the first series well jack uh not to put too fine a point on it but i don't think you're going to be disappointed (laughs) Um, I'm not surprised by this, having yeah known exactly what happened to Sutherland last year. Yeah, uh, it's it's as surprising as it is for clubs to let uh, camera crews in and record like this. It's even more surprising that Sunderland let them do it twice <laughs> after the first time. Um, and like it just all I'll say is it starts off. Uh, it follows very closely the new owner and the new director at the club. And let me tell you, uh, I said it to you in a group chat this morning, uh, when I say that the director casts a very David Brent-like figure at some points <laughs> in this series. Oh, God. Um, the, the most Brent-like thing I've seen in the football world is that um, being Liverpool documentary and Brendan Rodgers doing envelopes. his whole envelope routine. <sighs> oh, goodness me. Yeah, this, I don't know if it reaches that cartoony a level, but there are some things he does which are just like that kind of very office cringe, like, oh my God, can you hear yourself? Because yeah. the thing about it as well is like, they're trying to paint at the director and the owner like a fish out of water story because they're two guys from London. <laughs> who hello mate we've come up here to Sunderland <laughs> yeah basically like just going you know when times are bad they're just like oh you know or when times are good they're like you know what like it's just a different breed up here in the northeast they love their football you know I feel like you know we, we're, we're down in London the London people don't get it but I feel the passion of this club and then when it's going bad it's kind of like wow maybe they really don't get that like northeast England <laughs> vibe it's very different yeah I one of the saddest things I think for me in the first series where when Sunderland got relegated eventually and it was kind of on the cards for the whole season I think they like lifted very briefly when Chris Coleman came in but then after that it still went south it was the day they got relegated and there was like 50 to 100 people and they all just went to a pub which is there's nothing weird about that but then they all like gathered around a piano and they just started singing and crying and I was like oh man yeah. like it is everything 
to that community so i think like the human side of the documentary i find like the most endearing and interesting it's kind of weird and then it cuts between that to the absolute clowns that are then attempting to to make these people's dreams come true and you're just like oh you poor bastards it's kind of like it's weird because like they're an absolute shambles of a football club on the pitch and in the boardroom and everything like this. But like you say, you you touched on it there, that the human profiles they do of people like really give me a soft spot for the club that I never would have expected. Do you know what I mean? Like I find myself really like, oh God, I hope they do well. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Even they though were, I know... It's kind of like gum on the bottom of the Premier League shoe and that they always kind of clung on for yeah. like a, for a long, long time and then just went into free fall. Yeah. And, and that's something I always hate. Like, you know, the two of us have been around the block watching football for many, many years now. And there's always a tinge of sadness to when you see a great old club collapsing on itself. Um, yeah, I think so. I think that's true of any institution, to be fair. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what it is. But when you have something that, that people generally have a positive emotion towards and it just absolutely falls to fucking pieces, it's, it's, it's pretty painful to watch. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, I think about. I think the big one that happened in in our lifetime was Leeds United, um, and there has there have been. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the best person to tell you what I think about Leeds I collapsing into themselves. I mean, yeah. To be fair, look at the teams the two of us support. It's like we're not inclined to have the most favorable view of Leeds United, but I, I think no. we can still externalize uh, and think about how like there may be there maybe has never been such a tremendous fucking collapse under the weight of idiocy as there was was it what was it three or four years they went from a latter stage of the champions league to relegation semi-finals of the champions league to relegation yeah basically what happened is their uh, chief exec bet the farm on them getting back into the champions league they missed it it created a big financial black hole they had to sell off all their players and then yeah within sort of three four years they were playing two divisions below uh where they ended up uh or that where they originally were which yeah. is just yeah it's it's dreadful like and they're, st- and they're still not back it's worth saying it's, they're still not back that it's just it's amazing that like one or two people can just fuck everything up for like an entire community because that, that's what these clubs are they're just like entire communities that are behind these teams like leeds is a really happy passionate creative place having been there a few times and yeah I don't like the team that much, but I I can see that they deserve they don't deserve for this shitty thing to be happening to them. So yeah. Um, what have you been watching, my friend? Oh, so last week, Dave, on this very podcast, you told me to watch <laughs> Tiger King uh, on Netflix, and I knew little to nothing about it aside from the name. So I didn't actually have a clue really what it was about. You said to me, the less you know, the better. So I went in. So first of all, when I heard Tiger King, I did assume it was like some sort of Mexican masked luchador who, uh, <laughs> you know, had had stints in New Japan or whatever, because that kind of is what it sounds like. I think Mark said something like that last week. Yeah, And there, have, there, there, there is, of course, you know, Tiger Mask and, and you know, Puma King and things like that. Like, it's, you're, you're not yeah. a million miles off in that you were going that way mentally. Exactly. So I turn on this documentary and within five or ten minutes I'm greeted with Joe Exotic who is one of the most egregious human beings <laughs> that's been on this planet. He is he's permanently at about a 14 out of 10 on the, the wackiness rating. Um, yeah. 
It, it goes it, to say as well, before everybody hits stop on the podcast, Jack is going to endeavour to surgically not spoil the show for people as best he can. I, I won't. I just will say that there are about... The thing that I love about this show, and I say love in a very tentative fashion, is that every time someone new turns up, you're like, oh god, what's wrong with this person? Because there's no people that appear in that show with it who within five minutes haven't you know, displayed some serious signs of cruelty to animals, uh, greed, like uh, organized crime, um, extreme mental illness, all of the, you know, sometimes all of the above. And you're just thinking like, what? Like, I thought the person I'd hate the most on the show was uh, a lady called Carol Baskin, who basically, I I don't want to ruin it, but she kind of is like the anti-Joe exotic, you know, Mm. she's the, yeah, to, to the opposite of him in her own head. When a lot of it, for a lot of the show, until kind of towards the back end of it, you're like, she's really not that much <laughs> different. It's just she's just less flamboyant, which kind of made her a bit more irritating. But I was like, no, nah, she wasn't even the top ten assholes in the show by the time I finished watching it. <laughs> oh my goodness me! I I don't even want to say anything about it. It's just an exhibition of just some of the some of the. It's kind of sickening treatment of of animals and just general dickheadery of, of of people you can't actually believe were real like if someone told me the whole show was kayfabed and like none of these people existed i'd actually be relieved dave i wouldn't even <laughs> mind that somebody had made all this shit up but it's all real isn't it you wouldn't be surprised either would you <laughs> like no because it seems so all of these people seem so unbelievable like they don't seem real and it's it's just it's hard to watch people in cages with like live big cats and just without the constant fear that someone's gonna get something ripped off and without too many spoilers if if that's the shit that you're into mm. at some point in the show you ain't gonna be too disappointed by it but like it's it's a, it's a hard one of those things it's like it's like a car crash you just can't look away from it it's happening it's developing and it's just it's so out there man I, I don't want to spoil it that's why I'm not really going into a lot of detail but I'm just telling you everybody watch the show even if it's just one episode just to understand what the fuck's going on I saw it was like number one in, in UK Netflix trending as well so I think everyone like word of mouth is spreading this around uh, can I can I just get your take on one thing without spoiling it I think I can okay. mention this right and it's something the internet has been fascinated with sure what did you think of the excessively long jet ski sequence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mate, there are so many things like that in that show, though. Like, why is one of Joe Exotic's husbands always shirtless in every interview that he does? Oh, there was an answer to this given, uh, apparently, uh, the director was asked on a Q&A about it, and he said he wanted to show off his tattoos. <laughs> but somebody also pointed out and I can't get it out of my head that it's like he he is the he is the uh the after shot if Dave Batista was the before on <laughs> the, the perils of crystal meth. Yeah, or like Perry Sutton or yeah. something. Like I it yeah, he uh the don't you think the really chubby chunky dude with like the sort of strawberry blonde hair looks like a just an inflated chucky doll? Yeah, I, or like, he's definitely like a heel territories manager. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. He's I, the sort of guy who would, you know, promise you the 
hundred dollars uh, and you get a hot dog and a handshake kind of, I, kind I think, of promoter. I think I made reference to it last week on the program, but there was a tweet I saw this week was like, if you didn't already know that Joe Exotic uh, hosted and commentated on a pro wrestling event at a zoo, you would have assumed it about him. Yeah, you look at him and he just looks like a, it, he looks like a character from yeah. something. He and is a character, I'll tell you that. I mean, whether it's wrestling or like a TV show, like you know, I I, I don't know if it's because it, these people, there's like lots of money involved. I don't know if it's uh, if there's been a backlash of the sort of let's all kind of laugh at rednecks kind of thing, but it isn't that, is it? It's just like these no. terrible humans. That guy, the strawberry blonde guy that you were talking about, like he mentions at like the very start of it. It's like you have no idea what a crazy world like exotic animal owners are. You really don't. The guy with all the what? Okay, like yeah. If I keep talking, but <laughs> yeah. that fucker with all the wives is horrifying, and all oh, of those women. Yeah. What are they doing? <laughs> Top shagger duck antle. <laughs> oh my! God. It's like keep calling them. Oh. Oh, he looks like an he looks like a support character in a military video game <laughs> that, that gets capped off and no one cares about it. Um, you you have a couple of other things on the schedule here that you've been watching. You've been packing the week with content. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, you just have to it keeps <laughs> you going and stuff. Oh, another thing about this fucking show. Sorry, I had to come. <laughs> I got like so much of the time how many scenes are there where it's either joe exotic or one of his many husbands that you see during the show and they're just pointing a gun at something and they shoot it and it explodes because he buys that like explodable powder and just covers everything in it yeah or like just firing a shotgun into a lake for just no anyway um (laughs) sorry dave (laughs) you know what it feels like it feels like an overly long episode of trailer park boys if you ever saw that it is, but it's it's another level of that. Yeah. It that's what I mean. I was, yeah, it's because it's real. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think I was a bit worried that it was going to be a like like sort of let's all laugh at rednecks kind of almost poverty porn esque type thing at very first, and then you realise like no, none of these people are sympathetic at all. Like there's a few stories about Joe Exotic at first where you're like, oh that sucks, oh that sucks, and then you just see what he's like, and then you realise as the show unfolds, no, this guy is a fucking lunatic and he's a horrible man. Anyway, <laughs> go and watch the Tiger King and just drink it in because you will never see anything like it ever again. And yeah, can't wait for season two like <laughs> of the Tiger King about the about the guy with all the wives, Top Shagger Joe, and whatever it's called. Anyway, Dave. Um. Yeah, so something else I've been watching and I've been meaning to get back to for a long time is Mad Men. Have you ever watched Mad Men? I watched like the first couple of seasons of Mad Men at the time and it was one of this those... This is like, what I did. Because it's the start of the golden age of TV and I wasn't used to this much like good quality stuff being thrown at me all at once. So yeah. it was one of the ones, because it's such a slow burn, as I'm sure you're about to talk about... Um, it was one of the ones that fell by the wayside, but I, I keep threatening to get back into it, and you telling me you were watching it this week, I was starting to get the grow again to try. Yeah, I'd watched, like, the first series in a bit, um, and, it, it, yeah, it isn't particularly fast-paced at, at first, but what it is is, like, a show that has, like, really incredible development, so the way the characters are in the show, um, it, it has the... And I don't want to say that it's anything like... Uh, Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or anything but it has that element to it where 
the the stances of the characters aren't necessarily designed for you to like or hate the characters are the characters so at first you kind of like have to get the pacing of everybody in the show like there's one i kind of guess like real villain in the show especially in the first couple of series and that's pete campbell who is a an absolute son of a bitch horrible guy in the show and it was like a it was like a full season before i realized he was the guy who played angel's son in angel he is the guy who played Angel. Vincent Kerthizer, yeah. is that his name? Vincent Kerthizer, yeah. Is it Heiser or Hauser? I can't one of the other, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like, he's... So you hate him. You love to hate him. But everybody else is kind of... They kind of exist in this sort of morally grey area because, like, it's advertising, right? So they're kind of all, like... There's an element of hucksterism about them. Um, obviously, like, John Hamm is the main character and... It, it's through the eyes of him so you are sympathetic to him but they don't really pull any punches and show in some of his activities of like you know basically bordering on alcoholism all of the cheating on his wives and stuff like wives a wife well wives because he has two wives during the course of the, the series and you know it, it's just an interesting character study and a really really well acted show and a brilliant sort of a timepiece like a it, it really does reflect what the 60s is like which I suppose through a modern prism can get uncomfortable at times because, you know, they cover a lot of sensitive issues uh, in the show, like, uh, you know, the, the shooting of Martin Luther King and the assassination of uh, both Kennedys, funnily enough, because it's it starts in 1960 and ends like as the 60s are ending. But I think a lot of the sort of chauvinistic behavior of the main characters and like, what racism and, and stuff like that, I think if you watch it through those eyes, it, it's kind of tough um, that's my only real criticism of the show that some it might just turn some people off but realistically it's it's kind of probably an accurate portrayal of of what things were like in that time so i would warn people that if that's the sort of thing that usually makes them uncomfortable don't watch the show but it's just a brilliantly acted show the character development is great the plotting is really interesting and yeah it's a bit of a slow burn at first but once you really get to grips with how the characters work and you understand them, you just start growing like a real connection to it. And uh, yeah, I'd I'd recommend it, Dave. If you if you enjoyed the earlier seasons, uh, then you would absolutely love the way the story kind of moves on. And yeah, it's it's a if anything, it's just a good tour of what the social situation was like in New York in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that's gonna when you start watching it because I know it's it's in your it's on your kind of to do list as well. One thing that constantly boggled my mind for the while I was watching Mad Men because they're such different characters is like watching Alison Brie go back and forth between like Annie, Annie Addison in Community and Trudy Campbell in in Mad Men because the sh- not only the shows, but the characters are like polar opposites of one another. Yeah. Um, And yet like I like I really like a lot of the characters and it's like the plotting is interesting and the kind of you know the 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 kind of slow burn on the who really is Don Draper stuff you know um I, I really liked at the time and John Hamm is brilliant and there's people like not only um not only uh Vincent Cartizer but like uh like I said Alison Brie or um what's his name Slattery um, John Slattery. John Slattery. Oh yeah, John, John Slattery is is one of those. He is like the American equivalent of a top lad, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. He's like, he's inherited the, he's just the same lad in every movie from like the likes of uh, Dennis Farina, who's no longer with us. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, he is a bit more of an accelerated version of uh, Howard Stark, isn't he? In this? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but you gotta love him for it. Um, but other people, like, there's just so many people that are like Christina in- Hendricks. I would want to shout out. She is so good <laughs> as 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 Joan in the show. Joan who, Holloway, who Harris. I had first seen in Firefly back in the day. Ah, oh, right. She's yeah. in one episode of Firefly. Um, I don't remember her in Firefly. I've only she, seen it once, though. She was the other Mrs. Reynolds, I think was the name of the episode or something like that. Um, but yeah, you'd, you'd remember the episode if you saw it. I won't get too far into it because like, I, everybody who hasn't watched Firefly should watch Firefly and everybody who has watched it knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Rich Summer as well, who I, I like because he's gone on. He was in Glow. He was at the start, in the start of Glow. He also was the... Um, was it him was the main character in Firewatch? Yeah, I I, I really like uh, Rich Summer in the show because he has that sort of everyman feel of like, it, sometimes he kind of gets involved with the, the general debauchery. Like the amount of whiskey and c- drunk and cigarette smoked in this show, Dave, is insane. Oh. <laughs> there like, is like the, the scotch club sandwiches and cigars are like 100% of the diet. Yeah, which is the, the, historically the, the, oh. accurate from everything I know about like advertising in this period. It feels very real because it, it was, but like some of that might be tough for people. I think my my main shout out goes to Elizabeth Moss, Moss as Peggy Olsen, mm. who if Don Draper's like the main character, she's kind of like the sunflower that kind of grows up around Don Draper and then sort of just springs into bloom across the six seven series of the show Mm. and then by the end of it like i feel like it's kind of her story as much as it is don's and elizabeth moss is just brilliant in the show she kind of turns up like wide-eyed into new into the city and as as a secretary in the show and like you know by the end of it she's you know made her way through the firm and it's like really important on the creative side of it and it's it's a growing of her as a character and development of her as a human being and within the firm. And I just think Elizabeth Moss just gradually adding more and more to that character. It just feels like a natural growth. And it's the most interesting character arc, I think, over the course of the, the seven series of it. Yeah, no, no, you're dead right. Um, kind of just as dark, but uh, just as real as <laughs> Tiger King was. The other thing you watched was the New Jack documentary. Oh my goodness me! Um, this was the uh, the third episode of Dark Side of the Ring, which we talked about last week on the yeah, show. The, yeah, so New Jack is the the episode being called the Life and Crimes of New Jack. First of all, um, so New Jack, for anyone that doesn't know, is a professional wrestler who never really made it into a big company, mainly because he is uh, the character he plays. Essentially, um, like he's kind of playing this like you know tough guy gangster type character and it's almost like at first as he was playing that character he he got so far down the well of it and now it's kind of sad because he almost it, it he just is that guy and there's no other real humanity to like i watched the show dave and i found it was really good and stuff but I, the, the main takeaway i found with it is just this guy should be in prison right yeah he should have been in prison a long time ago he should still be in prison <laughs> Uh, yeah. And like, I, I kind of like, I knew almost every one of the incidents that was addressed throughout the, the documentaries. You follow wrestling close enough. 
um you hear the new jack stories eventually um but the thing about it well the thing i wasn't prepared for was just the free admission of several serious crimes and uh ways in which he basically defrauded the legal system to not serve time yeah so the the one that really got me was uh was the, the wrestler something red i can't remember his name omega red was that yeah it was something along those lines and they had a match or they and and the first couple of punches were a bit heavy from from uh, the red guy on on new jack and he's just like he didn't like it so his answer to that was to find something in his pocket and then pre- proceed to stab him which he described head. as a wolverine claw a wolverine claw with one of the blades slightly sharpened uh, and stabbed him was it nine times apparently he said oh like it, his his defense was oh they said it was 16 times in the newspaper but i only stabbed him like nine times and these are in the head neck and shoulder uh and it's right there on camera for, for you all to see is a man stabbing another man repeatedly in the head and obviously you know the match ended or whatever and it was just there was like 30 people there which was like the saddest part of it, it was this a man to stabbing another man in front of like, and there were ten-year-old kids and stuff. It it it's awful. Uh, but yeah, New Jack as a character is interesting, and he you know probably would seem cool to you, but he's also a felonious proprietor of assault. So you know, kind of fuck that guy or. What do you reckon? Yeah, like there's the the incident with that guy. There's the incident with the man in his late sixties, yeah. uh, Gypsy Joe. There's uh, obviously the infamous mass transit incident where there was a guy who lied and says he w- said he was eighteen to get on an ECW show, and New Jack fucked him up and cut his head open with a scalpel. Literally, a scalpel took it from one side of his forehead to another and just ripped it open. Yeah. And then it's really hard to watch. I'd never seen that footage. Oh, um, had you not? No. Um, and th- it, it's it's a man's father shouting, he's 17, leave him alone. And then just repeatedly doing horror. It just, that was tough to get through. There was a man that he uh, threw off a 40-foot scaffold and his only regret about doing that, was, sorry, he tased him and then threw him off a 40-foot scaffold. Was that he didn't kill him? Having not, that? yeah, having not told him he was going to tase him and throw him off, uh, it was revenge because he'd gotten injured in the in a match he'd broken his he'd fractured his skull in a match a year ago with the same guy and he took exception to the fact that the guy didn't call him uh afterwards so he decided he was gonna fuck him up so yeah he tried to throw him off his one regret is that he didn't he he didn't land on the concrete that he kind of like bounced off the the ropes and back into the ring and like watching that was so harrowing vic grimes was the guy's name yeah. and uh incredibly the only injury that guy got watching that footage was a dislocated ankle yeah uh yeah to me the way he explained that is like oh you know i was just gutted he didn't land it on the concrete what <laughs> yeah. i heard is Rage I'm, gutted, didn't kill him. <laughs> I'm gutted that i did not end his life <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't he did not shuffle him loose this mortal coil yeah like it was uh yeah I, I mean, it's it's a great watch, but this is a this is an awful person as well, right up there with the Tiger King. I don't know which one. I mean, I'd love to see them like have a boxing match or something for charity. That would be something. Oh. Yeah, Joe Exotic. I don't think is going to be lasting long. <laughs> I give him five seconds, <laughs> unless he gets his explodey shotgun. In which case. 10 seconds. Um, yeah, but it's been an incredible. Um, 
it's been an incredible season so far and I'm really looking forward to I think we've got a couple of the lighter ones coming up soon I know the Brawl for All episode I don't know if it's next or the one afterwards yeah. um, but it's it's coming soon anyway um, yeah it is Brawl for All is next but unfortunately then it's straight back into uh, Grim because uh, the next one is Jimmy Snuka and the death of Nancy Argentino oh god uh, I know that literal crime committed by a wrestler yeah, then we've got the. But assass- this one involves the ending of someone's life. Then we got the assassination of Dino Bravo, and I know that also in this season there's the Herb Abrams story and uh, Owen Hart as well. Yeah, um, that's just offhand. There's a couple more I know as well, um, but they haven't announced the exact air dates of some of them. But yeah, it's a really good series. It's you have to be in a particular mood for them, but uh, really, really good. Um, really, really enjoyable. Um, video games though. Jack. Um, video games. You've been doing some more video games than I have this week. Uh, you've been playing a lot of this new Call of Duty mode that people are uh, are, are getting on board with. Yeah, I think I've got a problem with it because I've played a lot of it. Uh, and it's yeah, it's really addictive, mate. I can't even explain it. Part of me wants you to get it and play a few rounds with me just so you can experience it for yourself. Like, how much have you seen of it or know about it? Uh... Apart from the fact that it's a battle royale mode, I haven't really seen a whole hell of a lot. Um, so, and the fact that people seem to be enjoying it, and that Barry is some sort of coward who hides all the time. <laughs> uh, so I've heard, yeah. But uh, I think the, the part of the key of the game, really, I, I don't know how interesting it would be to watch, but when you get to certain elements of the game, it really is better to hide for a while and be smart to stay alive, especially if you're like one player. It's, it's all versus all, like a 150 man uh, thing. I think that would probably be smart is to find like a little place and just put yourself in it and, and hide away. Like, I know that I've done that a few times just to stay alive in the game, but it's just, I can't explain it. There's a there's an addictive quality to it because it has all of the, the hallmarks of a good Call of Duty shooter and all of the sort of like, like thrill of it being a battle royal and, and the fact that as I said, I think the last week, like I said it, but it really is the most clever feature is the fact that if you die, there is a way to get yourself back in the game. If there kind of wasn't, that's the thing that always put me off Battle Royale. It's like I'd never really get into it because I'd go in and I'd just be killed. And it's the fact that you have that, there's like a get out of jail free card almost from Monopoly style. Um, and you have to earn it by like killing someone else in a one on one combat that's pretty cool and that that really appeals to me and yeah i i just been playing too much of it i don't want to talk about it too much obviously more because I, I spoke about it quite a lot last week but uh, my advice if anyone's out there is this, this game is for free you know it's as good as a call as, as a call of duty like i never really cared too much about the uh, main story modes of call of duty ever and i don't think i've ever completed one all the way through i'd seen like scenes like you know the nuclear scene from uh modern warfare and stuff like that but uh yeah I'd, I'd always just gone straight into multiplayer so for me to to have this for for no money is great have you been up to any games and stuff this week dave uh playing a bit more doom loving a bit more doom um kind of there's not a huge hell of a lot to add substantially to it uh only for the fact that i think there's no point in having a moment of the year uh this year because the entire sequence in which you get the super shotgun is going to win it hands down and that's just the way it goes <laughs> wow calling your shot early i mean getting to uh basically uh use a revenant as a drone <laughs> 
uh, and then getting the super shotgun and seeing how like just brilliantly overpowered the super shotgun is just blowing chunks in mancubuses and stuff like that it's um yeah it's it's really good and we talked about it last week the ways they've improved the combat chess with the um the ways with which you can get your upgrades by using the flamethrower the the glory kills the chainsaw uh has really added another level of strategy uh, as well as the uh the kind of secondary fire functions of all your weapons and how some of those secondary fire functions are key weaknesses of some of the enemies are really good about how a lot of them have specific weak points, which uh, I'll tell you what, if if it wasn't already difficult enough, adding, oh yeah, not only do you have to constantly move and never stop and go as fast as you can and try and collect all the ammo and kill everybody, but now here's a challenge to be incredibly precise while you're doing all that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, loving it so far. Um, have you um have you dipped in much to Animal Crossing? I've seen like a lot of people have been playing Animal Crossing. And- so I have Animal Crossing, but the good lady wife is playing it at the moment mostly. Uh, <laughs> okay, does well, she want to come on and cut a promo about it? <laughs> uh, well, I keep hearing like I, I keep hearing things in the background about uh, pizzerias and about uh, different people coming to visit the town, and it's something I'm going to explore as a chill game myself in my own time um that i will get to eventually but it's a thing where i don't want to start too many games at this stage without finishing them so i'm going to persevere as much as i can to try and finish doom and resident evil 3 which is out at midnight as we're recording this uh and then like for every game i finish i will pick up an extra game you know what i mean um and start trying to work through my stack like that yeah Um, obviously there's no winning animal crossing so yeah, yeah. You could pretty so, much play that in line with anything, I guess. Nor is it one that I'm really hugely concerned about spoilers. Because <laughs> um, yeah. as I explained to you during the week, like I've got a, a whack of uh, Yakuza games to be going through as well. Um, because that, uh, I didn't realise... Is realize... that the technical term for a collection of Yakuza's? A, a whack, whack of Yakuza's? Yeah, yeah, like a, a Parliament of Owls or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Murder of Crows, a whack of Yakuza games. Yeah because um, I'm still like halfway through Kuami 1 so I've got to play Kuami 2 and now uh, the Yakuza HD collection which is 3, 4 and 5 has all dropped on PS4 um, so there's that and then I've been saving I have Yakuza 6 but I want to actually get through the whole story and play it all in sequence because now I'm able to I'm um, sure that will make the story seem much more logical <laughs> yeah it definitely does. I'm very glad that the very first game I played was the prequel, Yakuza 0, because I think I'd be immediately lost even going into Yakuza 1. Yeah. Um, but uh, hey, yeah, no, I, I like those games, but they aren't going to, they are going to take some time. There's a lot involved in them. So um, yeah, the I, I'm, in, I'm determined to chip away at the, this backlog of games this year. Maybe I'll even finally finish Persona 5. Who knows? Oof. I mean... Don't, don't set your standards too high, Dave. I know. That is like a hundred hour game, I think. Yeah. Uh so I won't be I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bet the house on that one in particular. But yeah, Doom is kind of just what I've been playing. Next week I'm excited to talk about Resident Evil 3 because it was one that was sort of on my radar. Yeah. Then I got a little bit more excited when the embargoes lifted and it was kind of a little bit less, but in around the same score that um Resident Evil 7 got, which I loved when it came out like three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um and then got even more excited when a man who we both uh, enjoy quite a lot and who, at least with horror games, I tend to align on usually or align with usually, uh, Jim Sterling, 
did a video on Resident Evil 3 and how much he loved it and I just got to see and you know what like above all else Jack that engine for those rebooted uh, Resident oh, Evil yeah. games Class. oh my god <laughs> Uh, it, it, they might as they might as well just remake <laughs> all of them in that. I, think. I I was saying this to to you guys the other night. It's like I think they are <laughs> going to re like uh, part of me thinks they want another crack at five and six eventually <laughs> to make them good. Um, yeah. I mean so, four will make some serious bank because yeah. I think along with two is probably a lot of people's favorite. Yeah, I'd say four is the one now that they remade two. Four is the one that's the red button, like with uh, Square and the Final Fantasy VII remake. That like, you know, at any time we like, we can just hit that button and make all money. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and they're about to do that as Square as well. So I, I've heard a lot of Final Fantasy VII copies have been shipping. Yeah, so the uh, the hard copies, I, I think, in is it UK and Europe? Uh, yeah appear to be going out early now i'm hoping that they kind of just go oh fuck it and they let the digital ones go because i'm not like i'm I'm not pre-ordering this game physically because again it's like i've waited this long to actually give a proper go at final fantasy 7 i can wait a few weeks longer if need be like i said i've got doom i've got resi um so you know it, it's not like it's going to be spoiled me i know the kind of broad strokes of what happens in that game so i'll kind of like I'll, I'll wait until a time that suits me um to get it but if it did drop early digitally as well i'd kind of that'd give me pause now i would say yeah man dave do we want to talk about a few goings on and stuff in the video yeah. game world before we get to our main event of the i evening? think so ding, yeah ding. And the first one that broke like right before we came on here is that The Last of Us 2 has been indefinitely delayed. Now, has anyone checked on Barry to see if he's OK? <laughs> I hold on. I'll check as we're talking about it. But just uh, Jack, were you um, are you a Last of Us guy or, or where was this on your kind of I got to play this this year list? One of my biggest confessions is that. I'm kind of aware of The Last of Us. I'm I've seen a lot of like the cutscenes and stuff and I I know what it's like the story is, but I've never actually myself physically sat down and played the game. So I so a lot of the time when we have the game of the year uh conversations and deliberations, what I'll do is I any game that I haven't managed to either buy just simply sometimes don't want to spend the money or you know, might not necessarily be something that's that's up my street, but I'll go and watch a lot of footage and stuff from it. And I do, I did watch a lot of bits and pieces from The Last of Us and really like it. But, and I bought the remastered edition, so I actually have it to play through. I just haven't got round to it. So in a way, I'm actually quite happy because now I've got a, a bigger window to get towards playing this game before um, The Last of Us Two comes out. What, what's your relationship with The Last of Us, Dave? Are, are you a big fan? So I remember this was the first time in, so 2013, this came out in 2013 and 2013 was the year where I like got super back into games and the game that did it for me more than anything else was Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. Um, I just, God, I fell in love with that game. But the other game that came out that year was like right at the start of the summer, I think, was Last of Us. And the unusual thing about The Last of Us relative to like any other game I'd tried to pick up in years was that when I went down to GameStop, they did not have any. They were sold out. 
And like, I couldn't remember short of a GTA game or like Call of Duty in the first couple of days, the last time that had happened. Um, and it was this first party game that like, cause I wasn't really following the news. Like it was kind of just, I'd heard it was like a zombie game. I was like, oh yeah, I'll play that. And I heard, I saw it was getting like 10 out of 10s and shit like that. I was like, okay, like maybe I'll just pick this up. I have a little bit of extra money. And they're like, no, <laughs> I was like, you can't have that. Everybody wants that. Uh, and like, it was literally absence makes the heart grow fonder because it was like two weeks before they got restocked uh, to the level where they could give me a copy um, and played it, absolutely loved it. Now I wouldn't, I would still kind of because of the sentimentality of it all, I would still put Bioshock Infinite higher on my personal list uh, for last generation, but Last of Us is right there behind it. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later on in our main topic, but I, I just think it's a it's a brilliant game. It has an emotional weight to it that I, again, because I was only recently back into video games, that I didn't associate with games, like making you feel feelings. The like the opening sequence in that game, uh, not to spoil it on you, Jack, having not. <laughs> play the game for yourself the opening sequence of that game is the most brilliantly directed and heartbreaking cinematic piece of video game uh video gaming i had seen to that point probably um but yeah like and then i got the remaster and i i played it a little bit um because it kind of the thing about Last of Us, like, unless you're kind of Barry levels of into it, the emotional weight of the whole thing doesn't hit you the same time the second round. Uh, it's still a good game to play, but it will never knock your socks off quite the same way when you try to chase that rush again. Can you, uh, have you actually messaged Barry to see if he's okay? No, I didn't message to see if he's I okay. I feel like we should do this just because <laughs> I'd be quite interested to hear what his response is. I, I'm very aware of the opening sequence of, of The Last of Us and honestly i think that is a like without spoiling it for anybody i kind of have spoiled this game for myself dave so in a way you'll be okay to free to talk about it but not everybody else has, has obviously played it but i think it's really bold that um that you would do something so kind of like jaw-droppingly dramatic and, and heart-wrenching at, at the start of a of a video game where there weren't too many games around doing stuff like that narratively at that time um, so I I kind of admired it for the bold choice. The main reason I I didn't pick it up initially was just because of that sort of zombie thing. And so I know we we're just talking about Resident Evil and stuff, but I think I just got really sick of zombie stuff. Like I'd always really enjoyed um, you know the occasional zombie movie, like you know Evil Dead's and like I love Shaun of the Dead and and stuff like that. But I never really got into i never really got too hard into the the video game zombie craze too much other than maybe resident evil because i think sort of around this time or or certainly just a little bit before this there was like a, a zombie mode and everything and it was just done to death so when i heard last of us was just another zombie game i was like ugh. but then like did a bit more research saw all of the uh, press it was getting watched bits and pieces of it and uh, yeah it, it's a narrative masterpiece so I think it's kind of sad that Last of Us 2 has, has been delayed and been pushed back, but um, selfishly it's good for me because it gives me a bit more time to play it. And uh, I think at the end of the day, they probably just want everybody to be in a position to to experience it at the same time if it's going to be like a real issue with physical shipments and, and that costing them a certain big part of, of, of what the, the game could make and they maybe don't want to limit that. But 
you know, in situations like that, I kind of feel like, do we really need to delay the game? Can we just, everyone that was going to get a physical copy, can they just receive a download code or something and we just carry on with it? But I'm, I'm sure there are logical reasons that uh, we're not aware of. Yeah, well, one of the things that I can immediately think of is like, so obviously this is going to be a huge seller and they don't want to, uh, it behooves Sony to not anger the brick and mortar video game stores because as much as digital sales and the digital stores and people's internet connections have improved over the time that most people could do digital at this point, um, the problem is uh, this winter they have new hardware coming out and they still need physical stores to sell their hardware and it's probably best not to annoy them when by all accounts GameStop the number one of those brick and mortar chains is hanging on by a thread financially um like there there are reasons why they were one of the last non-essential businesses to close uh when everything started going down um they are like you see the increasingly desperate moves over the years like the loyalty schemes and the kind of like just begging for trade-ins basically because it's where they make their money and that if you walk into a GameStop now, it's basically two thirds of it is just a nerd merch store and you have to go into the corners for the actual fucking video games. <laughs> like it's become a fetched property. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's very, very bizarre. Um, so I would say that's one of the reasons why. The other one, I guess, is probably, they're probably thinking with things going on in the world right now, a post-apocalyptic game where nobody's around is probably a bit too close to the bone and might depress sales a little bit. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> but do you know what? Just to cheer you up, why don't we move on to our next story and talk about, you know, We've already spoke about two despicable individuals so far in in, in, in uh, Joe Exotic and New Jack. Do you think, Dave, so we do our Game of the Year every year and we have the Konami Corner Award for Ineptitude in video games. And Last year, it looked like there was a real leader in the clubhouse for a lot of the year and until something like really horrendous and politically um, motivated happened. And in the end, I think that kind of won it out. But... Do you think uh, runner-up of this award, Mr. Randall Pitchford, uh, heard that we didn't give him the award and he's like, right, I need to remind everybody what a son of a bitch I am so I can win it next year. And boy, did he. So um, Randy Pitchford, CEO of Gearbox, um, his company tend to pay employees less than their peers within the industry. But the way Gearbox has always counterbalanced that is by awarding huge bonuses based on giving uh, employees, individual devs, um, basically a stake in the game's profits. Um, one of them, I think it was Borderlands 2, wasn't it, Jack, where like everybody made so much money that a lot of people were just able to buy houses off it? Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, that's how much money they made. Borderlands 3, even though like it was kind of critically panned uh, or at least uh, critically seemed to have been less well received than uh, Borderlands 2 specifically. Do we um, think part of that is just the year that Randy Pitchford had of just being a terrible person? Like, I've heard I think, from a lot of people that like Borderlands that Borderlands 3 was pretty good. Like, shout out to my buddy Dean. He, he loved yeah. that game. So um, what I understand is that it depends on what kind of borderline. I can't remember what it was. Brian, uh, friend of the show, Brian, uh, said to me because he's a big Borderlands guy. And it's like if you liked, I can't remember if you liked Borderlands 1 or 2, one of the two of them, it's extremely like one of the previous Borderlands game and extremely unlike the other one. So depending on which one of those two you really liked, 
you were either happy or very sad about it but either way it wasn't a substantial shift away for the series or evolution of the series it kind of just more of the same of one of the previous ones in the franchise and sure you'll have to take my apology for not remembering which because i'm not a borderlands guy but seemingly like it still did quite well financially for them but uh now randy has basically told them they're not getting their bonuses that they had been told that they were getting um and they're citing all sorts of things like oh you know increased costs uh, of production and things like that and we had to staff up and and things like that uh in in order to get the game out and yeah just randy is just a piece of shit <laughs> yeah what was the last big payout was it 12 million dollars he uh he paid himself out from from gearbox as a bonus I think it was it was, it was something like that. That was part of his piece of shit reel. Yeah, and you just think, fuck, man, like, all of these people that... Because a lot of people would have, you know, gone into financial commitments, and have, especially the people that were over from Borderlands 2, and yeah. they chucked everything into this game in the last few years just to get it shipped and get it out, and they were expecting, quite rightly, the the fruits of their labours to be, to be rewarding, and it's just it's a real kind of moral uh, pickle at the moment of, of companies and, and the way that they're treating their staff. I think it it's real easy to score points at the moment, but it's real easy to get everybody immediately turn on you, especially with everybody like <laughs> with increased access to, you know, devices that deliver them news and stories and stuff like that. Everything is uh, very much under the public eye at the moment. And I just think like these companies are just shooting themselves clean in the foot and uh pitchford's never cared he's a brazen idiot but i think there's a lot of things kind of being said and done at the moment that i just when all the dust settles it just people are going to realize how morally reprehensible they are so yeah from that dave yeah from that to i woke up uh one day last week and i found out that for one day and one day only jack lazell was appointed ceo of nintendo because that's the only reason i can i can <laughs> figure out for all of his dreams coming true uh what happened my friend oh dave there, <laughs> there was a, a scoop an announcement scoop uh that all of the i think it was v the the video game website vgc mentioned that because it's the 35th anniversary of, of Super Mario as a character, we're going to get all of the old Mario games uh, released onto Switch in the back catalogue this year. This means the heavy hitters, Dave. I'm not talking about, like, you know, Mario Speak and Spell for the Commodore or whatever the fuck those games are. I'm talking Mario 64. I'm talking Mario Sunshine, son. I'm talking the Galaxies. These are all going to hit Switch this year. And Nintendo are going to make all the money. All of the money because I'm stupid. I've probably got all those... Well, not even probably. I've definitely got all those games. I'm going to rebuy them on Switch. How about you, Mr. Ryan? Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> it's not um, even a question, right? No, because I buy uh, Sunshine 64 and it saves me having to crack out the N64 every year to do my full star run like I always do on Super Mario 64 uh i i can't even tell you what box my gamecube is in at the moment so that saves me having to look for that and then i've never given a proper playthrough to the galaxies so it's yep. just like this is great this is fantastic and it's probably 
I want to say in some ways even better than if there was a new 3D Mario. Like I'm, I'm kind of more the the nostalgia part of my brain is just incredibly hyped right now. Um, and uh, another thing they chucked in as a PS is so a new Paper Mario game. I love Paper Mario. Paper Mario, genuinely one of the the underrated properties of, of the Nintendo canon. I don't really feel like it gets a love. Like there was there was a Super Mario RPG, but like the Paper Mario for the 64 is, to me is like a true mario rpg as well and then there was a really great um, paper mario game on the gamecube i i don't even know where my copy of it is i i fucking lost it and it, that's really painful i haven't got a clue but uh yeah we get a new paper mario game as well i tell you what like nintendo have obviously looked at this year and they thought mm, we don't have to aside from animal crossing we don't have too much in the way of like real strong first party content coming out this year like we have every single previous year um, you know they've had the Pokemons of this world and the Smash Bros, and then obviously the the double the double whammy that was Zelda and on Odyssey in the same year. So this year they're just like, you know what? As a as a way of apology, we're just going to take a big cannon, put mm-hmm. all of the Mario into it, and just shoot it into your Nintendo Switch. It's, it's probably the best way to do it because we were talking yeah. about um, during the week about how like I don't think there's a huge huge first party new game coming out because there's a new xbox and a new playstation and why would you send out one of your big stars to get eaten alive because out of pure curiosity value alone uh sony and microsoft are going to dominate sales for hardware this christmas no matter like what you put on the switch you know as much as i love the switch um it it's gotten it it's got a huge install base already like they should just this should be getting your house in order and getting some uh the, the the market of the current gamers that want the new thing is probably gone for this Christmas, but you fucking attack that nostalgia with a vengeance and you'll probably do quite well. Um and if they bundle this, like I'm telling you, and I know I know you, Lazel, I know you, and I know that if they do a switch bundle, because they've been talking about doing that like even if it isn't, but they have been talking about doing that kind of like switch deluxe model. And if they do a Mario themed Switch bundle Don't. that comes with the new Paper Mario and all the retro oh, games God. preloaded on it. Yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, you will. <laughs> I don't even want to. I mean, I do want to, but at the same time, I know I probably shouldn't. But God damn, like that um, Pokemon Nintendo Switch they brought out with like the, um, you know, the, the, the dark and everything. That really tested me. <laughs> <laughs> I had to like really snatch myself back to to not buy that, but uh, yeah, this this looks like it's gonna be a joyful joyful year for for the lovers of Mario and just the lovers of Nintendo's properties that they're hanging on to that they could easily just give out to everybody. So yeah, Dave, the next news story. Uh, have you been spotting some bargains out there? Some bargains? Yeah, so there's like a huge spring sale that was already happening on PS4. And then today, a big sale started, and it won't finish for a while on Switch, that's going to have, like, things added to it over the course of the next week. Haven't dove too deeply into it, because, well, I picked up two things on the cheap that I think, actually, I think the two of us should play at some stage uh, and get uh, Mark and our friend Matt Niner to play as well, because um, what has been reduced to the measly cost of, I think, six and seven euro, respectively, are Trivial Pursuit and Monopoly on Switch, which have online multiplayer. Player. Oh yes, and I think that's something we should all absolutely get and play next week. Uh, I would, I would really like to do that. Um, 
but I haven't got I have I have I have restrained myself from the sales so far but there's some really good shit on uh, the uh, Pro Evo 2020 is 20 quid at the moment uh, 24.99 for the deluxe version that includes like Ronaldinho and a couple of other like legends and stuff um, I saw uh, Rabbids uh, Mario versus Rabbids for £7.50 like if you never yeah. played that weird XCOM Mario Raving Rabbids mashup like just saying all of those three things together still makes me chuckle even now. But uh, yeah, in seven pound fifty, like you yeah. know, you're not if you're not going outside much. Seven pound fifty is war off a duck's back. Yeah, it's um, it's really competitive value. There's some good stuff, and I think that's probably like why I'm not coming into your raven with all the prizes. That like a lot of the first party stuff that either is or is about to be, there's like big reductions coming to like Yoshi and Kirby and and I think uh, Mario Kart and stuff like that possibly, um. But like we are weird gits for Nintendo, so we already have all that. <laughs> yeah. So that's do. not what we've zoned in on. Uh, um, the Crash and Spyro remastered bundles for seventeen pound fifty each is very good value as well. That's pretty damn good. Um, and then on on PlayStation, there's stuff like I can't believe it's not down to twenty quid yet. I was gonna get, I was gonna bite at that day is gone if it was less than twenty quid just as a kind of like very middle of the road open world kill some time game but it's still 31.99 even reduced and like oh fuck off um but there's a couple of good I, i'm assuming but you, you know because the the fucking ps store you can't see if you've already bought the game what the new price is uh, i'm assuming there's like another deep reduction where witcher 3 game of the year is probably less than 20 quid again and like in terms of bang for your buck 20 quid on like 400 hours of content is pretty great it certainly um, is i can't believe and i think i said it this like this did i say it on the air or did i say it just to you mark i can't believe tetra effect is still 35 pound yeah we talked about that last week right it's 19 dollars on the u.s uh playstation store because yeah. that's yeah you were having a go at tetris and the eggs last week on the show oh god the egg. I, I just really want to apologize for how dumb the egg <laughs> thing was that's one of them things that you think out loud and then you immediately regret and then like trying to double down on my thoughts and then i was just like no this is just all wrong <laughs> you're just trying to dig up and it's just not happening yeah we've, we've all had those shocking. moments pal absolutely shocking but to uh, cheer up your mood here, everybody should check uh, Switch and PS4 for uh, sales, and I'm sure there probably will be one on Microsoft going as well. Uh, but Jack, there is a link I've put in that I've told you not to open I until this that. very moment. There is a new, you thought Tetris 99, where Tetris was put in a Battle Royale game, was the ultimate crossover event. I have a new one for you here, Jack, if you wouldn't mind clicking that link and uh, describing what you see. Okay, so it's Pong so far. Yeah. It's is this some sort of is this a is this like an RPG pong game? It is a pong dungeon crawling adventure game. I mean, wow. What is going on here? Yeah. Embark on an epic quest apparently. Pong quest. Okay. Sure. Why not? I've, I I saw this on, on Eurogamer today, and I gotta say, I'm kind of interested. Yeah, it has that sort of old school 16-bit kind of look to it, uh, but <laughs> really? Like, Pong? Quest? Uh, I guess if Mario Tennis can have a multiplayer mode, they probably thought, why the fuck can't we give these uh, paddles some character? Do you know what? That's not even the most retro thing about it, that Pong is involved. Did you see who's making it? No. Atari. 
Oh, of course. Why? Well, I should have guessed that straight away. Uh, in breaking news, before we move to our big topic, I have received a statement from Barry Ladd. I see. Let, let's read this out in a contemplative <coughs> fashion. I did say to him, I said, hi, Barry. Myself and Jack are on the air at the moment, and he wants me to do a welfare check on you after the Last of Us news and get re- your reaction. <laughs> he said, <clears throat> this is from the desk of Barry Murphy. Hang on a sec. Um, Hang on. Ever- Hang on. Okay. Uh, I'm waiting. Uh, let me just see. Just want to put some, some musical bed in the background while you... While you read this. Get it suitably melodramatic. (laughs) Okay. Dave. Times are tough. We're all in this together and it's important to remember that. But at the same time, it's okay to be sad. We just have to be there for each other and agree on one thing. That the Naughty Dog employees stay in their office and work their 18, nay 20 hour days to ensure that this precious content is as good as possible for me when normal life resumes. Thank you, Barry Lad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you read that statement out and you could not have timed it more perfectly for the lyrics just to start. I mean... That is a, so hard. That's unrehearsed, folks. That's the that's the shit that can happen in this wacky podcast. Thanks very one much. One take, Ryan. Point. That's what old Jack Warner used to call me. <laughs> one take, Ryan. Right, okay. <laughs> is that because you only take one? Who knows? Oy. Who knows? Um, right. Here we are, our big kind of central topic for the day, and we wanted to talk about video game acting. Acting. Acting? Um, Thank you. And... This is kind of something that I've been milling around in my head as a possible show topic, and I thought maybe a week where uh, uh, gameplay over story Robinson wasn't here was probably an ideal week to tackle it. Um, Is that the most awkward nickname that anyone's ever given Mark? And trust me, I've spent my entire life giving Mark awkward nicknames. (laughs) There was a character on it, so a former housemate of mine, Dan... Uh, when we had, I, I don't, I, I can't even blame alcohol because we were stone cold sober, but we were on like a, a, maybe a sugar rush of giddiness or something like that. We were watching a TV show one night and we can't remember for the life of us what TV show or what character it was, but we gave a character when it was a show we were barely paying attention to. We used to give them all nicknames to keep track. And we ended up with the incredibly convoluted nickname for one character of a uh, Ding dong Snape's dead Phyllis Jones. And I can't remember the genesis of this joke. I can't remember what character or what TV show it was about. And this is like about three or four years have passed, and myself and Dan have nothing. And we can't remember it, but anytime we think of that name, tears roll down my face of laughter. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre. It's one of those things where you just have one of those evenings where everyone's a little bit mad, you're saying weird stuff, and yeah, something yeah. really funny comes out. Yeah, like the night that you, your brain broke playing FIFA and you were just screaming, give it Kingsley. <laughs> yeah, you should give it. Unfortunately, I saw what happens live when people give it Kingsley, so I'm quite <laughs> yes, happy to never think about this season ever again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's three distinct eras, I would say, Jack, of acting in video games. And that is uh, the no acting period in which uh, technology hadn't really advanced much uh, for voice acting to be a thing. 
Then we have what was uh, at best the patchy, but probably the bad era of video game actors where it was just like whoever was around the office do a voiceover. And kind of in the the 21st century has kind of been the emergence and uh, refinement of good acting in video games. Um, before we get into our, our big kind of, we, we each have a, a list here to get through of some of our favorite notable performances in video games. Um, but Jack, so honorable mentions of bad video game acting that you can think of. <laughs> well, I put one on my list, Dave. Did it catch your eye? Um, does it have something to do with the word space? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> oh, man. Tim Curry. Uh, just melting the scenery around him, uh, even though he's probably in front of a green screen uh, in, in Command and Conquer 3. Uh, and Dave, yeah, he's on a journey to uh, somewhere that capitalism, I think, has, has never affected, and, and that's space. Um, but he says it with such gusto and, and theory that you, you can't help but want to join him in space. Uh, but yeah, there's 18 minutes of Tim Curry's uh, just like talking head parts in Command & Conquer 3 with just, a, I mean, I'd say it's not even barely passable i'd say it's the opposite of passable russian accents and he just looks like basically someone found him in a pub and like he hadn't had a shave for a few weeks and they were like here tim just come nail this out in an afternoon and he's like oh oh, i'll see what i can do and then he got there and he became for tim curry and yeah it's just incredible uh space (laughs) has ever been a subtle tim curry performance no (laughs) no there hasn't but this is I mean, this is big, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever yeah seen a moving guy. That's some low key curry right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Rocky Horror Picture Show is probably the master uh, Tim Curry performance, but it kind of suits the the terrain that he's in. Whereas this is just a game, you know, where you're you're clicking there, uh, clicking the little blokes on the screen to move them over to one place so they attack a base, and then you get like thirty seconds of mad Tim Curry's head in between them. But yeah, that's my favorite example of bad acting in uh, in a video game. But it, it's so bad. And I think in a self-aware way that it just becomes glorious. I mean, have you got anything that jumps out to you? I mean, the original Resident Evil is up there. Acting so bad that when they re-kind of like did an HD version of the game, they just redid all the acting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the infamous delivery of, uh, Jill Sandwich is, uh, is, is legendary in video games. Hold on there a second. My dog has decided to interrupt. <laughs> Toby, have you got something to say? I don't think he was a fan of Jill Sandwich either. That's probably what's going on. Yeah, um, I'm just going to go grab this toy off him. But uh, please, please, uh, Jack, fill me in with any more notable mentions while I have words with my dog. <laughs> we have words with him. I, I don't know. That sounds a bit ominous. Uh, Toby is a is a good, good boy. And if you visit at the day to day, if you will probably find some some great photographic evidence of that. But um. I guess I want to talk about the scene in, in Final Fantasy X a bit um, that everybody always shows off of, of like two characters uh, just laughing on the edge of a cliff and it just being ridiculously cheesy and awkward and out of context. But I always defend the scene because I think it kind of makes sense in context of the game of, of two people, like one of whom is going to die, the other of them is really no idea what their identity is and they're just basically <laughs> trying to cheer each other up, which I think is a, a feeling that everybody is kind of dealing with at the moment and trying to find things that make them happy and, and just generally sort of be p- 
positive and, and, and what they're doing. And, you know, sometimes you, you're going to have to force yourself to get going or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's a good example of it. But, oh, my God, out of context, the scene of Titus and Yuna laughing on a cliff in Final Fantasy X must be painful for the average person to watch, I would say. Um, are, you, are you aware of what I'm saying, Dave, like with that scene? I've I've heard it referenced, but I don't think I ever got far enough in that game to have seen it. Yeah, I mean, you can probably get it on Switch for pretty cheap if you wanted to have a hack I, at it. I, I have it because I'm constantly threatening to finally do my Final Fantasy deep dive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you do, I'm there for you. I'll be the Sherpa on your journey. <laughs> Thank you very much, pal. Uh, shall we uh, crack on with our, our, our top? We've got, we've both got um, long lists here, but we're going to attempt to cut it down to, to five each. Uh, and are we going to go in order five to one, or are we just going to do five and kind of in no particular order? What are you feeling like? I'm going to go no particular order because I, yeah. don't, I think they're all very good, and, and I've picked some quite variant ones, and, and just in, not in terms of like just the voices but in terms of like how they fit into the game and you know they they juxtapose quite a lot uh so yeah uh, do you want me to kick off um well what i will say as well is uh we need to pay respect to uh one of the great um tim curry performances in home alone 2 lost in new york as the concierge <laughs> okay but have with you been, that have you been way, sat on that for for about five ten minutes now and you're just like yeah. i have i couldn't remember whether it was that or dunstan checks in but uh, it was Rupert Everett was playing a similar role in Dunstan Checks In. I had to go look that up. <laughs> oh my goodness me. Yeah. I liked Home Alone 2 as well. I, you know, yeah. I think if somebody just went, it's the same, but they're in New York, I'd probably yeah. be like, yeah, whatever. But um, in, a, in a weird twist of fate, I actually saw Home Alone 2 before the original Home Alone, just because <laughs> of the way that like you're growing up and then TV movies are on and stuff. But so I, I, still I didn't see the first five minutes of Home Alone 1 until I was an adult. Really? Because the version we had at home was taped off ITV, and whoever, <laughs> my mother or father, had recorded it didn't record it at the start. And I watched it so many times as a small child and just never knew I never saw the start of it. I mean, there's a whole podcast in this. I, I remember I had Crocodile Dundee and all the bit with knives apart from, th- no, that's not a knife, this is a knife, had been cut out because it was also taped off ITV and it had some excellent adverts as well that they'd forgot to cut off in between. So yeah, I, w- I was listening to, the, it's funny the way that uh, we've completely derailed this now, but it's funny the way like, as a child you don't notice these things because something i i thought of, i thought about that a lot recently uh, a podcast i love cinema swirl um they did jumanji the original jumanji yeah and they were just like people talk about jumanji like it was a rip roaring good time uh they watched when they were a kid but like that movie is scary as shit it's really dark yeah there's yeah. some really like really fearful scenes in it the scene where they're in the room and all those like big bodied like spindly like spiders come down. Like if you had a fear of spiders, that would terrify you. Yeah. Or um, the other one that I always think of is Jingle All the Way, where there's like a su- uh, like a, a subplot with Sinbad constantly being on the brink of suicide. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think back in the day, people used to make suicide like a, a point of humor, didn't they? Really? Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. made things very difficult. Uh, Wild. To, to reframe. Uh, because there's a lot of reframing that needs to be done of, of old stuff. So I think people need to take that on board. Kind of like I was saying with Mad Men earlier. You yeah. just kind of have to accept that we've moved on as a society and we continue to move forward. Yeah. 
but Jack, on that note, your five favorite. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was always happening, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. This is why Mark can't leave us unsupervised. But uh, yeah, hit hit me with your your first uh, notable voice acting performance in video games. Well, I mean, God knows I, I've spoken enough about this series on the podcast, so I don't think there's even really too much that I need to say. But uh, David Hater as Solid Snake is to me probably the most iconic voice to video game character combination that i can think of like i there are a lot of uh, characters in video games like one-off characters or or, you know people that recur bits and pieces and you know over different eras and and genres and uh, there are recurring characters there are memorable people and stuff but i couldn't think of anybody that i thought has more of a like if if you see solid snake you you think you see, you see a speech you think in david hater's voice everything to do with solid snake is associated with the guy's speech his cadence his delivery of this character you know it it's the perfect kind of tough guy but like with a real hint of kind of wistfulness uh about his isolation and in these places and the general confusion as to what's going on like David Hayter really conveys, I think, a lot of what the audience is thinking about some of the storylines, because, hey, it's Hideo, and he's going crazy doing his stuff, and a lot of the games, he's not really bought into what uh, all of the all of the craziness around him that's happening. He doesn't really know. He's just there. He's a soldier, essentially, trying to do his job, um, and he plays that role to a T absolutely perfectly, and his voice... The deepness, the gruffness, it's got this sort of old school action hero, you know, feel to it. And I think, you know, even like up until Metal Gear Solid 4 when he was old Snake, I just think he mastered that performance even the most. And and though it's far from my favorite Metal Gear Solid video game, I think the vulnerability um, delivery of, of some of the lines in that game really just gave you a sense of like, okay, this guy that you once thought was this action hero this impenetrable fortress of of manliness is actually aging and you know he's really struggling and there's all sorts of like you know side reasons for that like fox die and this that and the other thing that i won't go into now but uh david hayer a solid snake is something that uh is a performance that means a hell of a lot to me uh it kind of spanned over my adolescence and yeah i just sort of you know grew along with with solid snake and as good of an actor as Kiefer Sutherland is, when he voiced Snake in Metal Gear Solid Five, and he did a good job, it just didn't feel right to me. Uh, I don't know if what you would say about any of that, Dave, but I'm, I'm sure you echo a lot of those sentiments, right? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better than you. Um, just iconic, and like he, his, <laughs> he is so inextricably linked with that character and those performances he gave that it fully explains why people threw an absolute shit fit when he was replaced by Big Keef uh, for uh, Phantom Pain. Um, I, mean, I wasn't angry. I was just really sad. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't bear the thought of it. Like, and I never, yeah. you know, I never feel like that whenever a James Bond leaves or, you know, any character, Doctor Who changes or whatever, aside from maybe, like the real beat with um david tennant when he was like i don't want to go like and he, his delivery of that line i always felt was reflective of like there's a certain truth here i, I don't actually think david tennant does want to let this character go here um but, but do you know what would have been great though i've reflected on this more like if that reveal that happens in phantom pain phantom pain spoilers by the way 
of you know, Big Boss not really being Big Boss. Yeah. If that happens halfway through the game and then David Hayter enters, <laughs> I mean, like, bombshell, great moment, you know? Yeah, that would have been it's awesome. It's like we, we brought in Kiefer just to 86 him halfway through the game would have been fucking amazing. Yeah, and I think um, Kiefer Sutherland as an actor, I think he, I mean, he's getting a paycheck. He probably wouldn't have cared too much, but I think he would have been on board with something like that. I, I don't yeah. think he would have been too angry about it. I mean, yeah, he was getting his coin, so, like... Yeah. Um, it's cr- isn't it, it crazy a- where you've got a character, right? Two actors have played it. One of them is a guy that I would say sort of 99% of the general public haven't heard of and don't give a shit about, and the other one is Kiefer Sutherland. And yeah. I am sat here saying that I was really upset, like, not even mad, just upset that Kiefer Sutherland was voicing it, who is an incredible actor in his own right, you know? It's it's crazy, isn't it? That But that is a real testament, I think. The biggest possible testament is that level of fury, outrage, and sadness that accompanied him not doing the voice anymore. Yeah, no, you're dead right. Um, my first one on here, we mentioned the game already, and we read a, a statement about the sequel to the game uh, from Barry, but uh, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, Last of Us. Like, yeah. what more can you say? Um, just the, the, like again the the game has such an emotional weight to it uh between the kind of baggage and horrible life joel has had and the the horrendous life that ellie has been born into and living through now um and it's just one of those things where and thankfully it's kind of it came at a time where uh performance capture had kind of uh really kind of broken into video games and was a was in wider use that this was like a full-bodied performance not just voiceover which was fantastic but they actually did the motion capture for these characters which added another level to it and um you know even though like i think people do have their their niggles about kind of what uh you know the gameplay not being as good as they might want it but i think one thing you can't take away from it is like it's a just a truly seminal work in terms of acting in video games. There are moments that will make you choke up with tears, both in the good way and the bad way. And you find yourself through their performances getting so invested in these two characters uh, and their stories that unlike, uh, they don't feel like protagonists in video games. They feel like actual living people, Um, which, you know, as pretty as the game is and, you know, as good as the overarching story is, I don't think it's half the generational uh, great game uh, without those two in particular in it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. I I think I completely agree with that. Any, any of the FMV like cutscene stuff that I've seen from the game, it it is conveyed really well and it has that, that sort of familiar style to me that that I saw obviously in a better graphical format in the Life is Strange games of like you can tell there are people like physically in each other's company acting these things out and it does just it gives it an edge that we didn't really have um, up until like maybe the last decade when they started really going big on the motion capture thing and I think it makes it makes a huge amount of difference because I think everybody that has ever read anything to do with communication will tell you that more importantly uh than what you're saying is the body language and the conveyance of the words so i think it's really cool that we've got i've got a couple on my uh on my list i made of 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 the the full acting 
job that was done. Um, so, yeah, great shout, mate. Great shout. Thank you very much. What is your second? My second is uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Officer Frank Tenpenny from Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Um, mm. Now, <laughs> taking you back to a time in my life, like Vice City, we've mentioned a few times on here. I mean, it's one of my all-time... It may, it's, it's up there with my all-time favourite GTA games. I absolutely adore it. Um, I was beyond hyped uh, for Grand Theft Auto San Andreas to come out and I, uh, you know sort of around those those years of again teenage times you know that's when you're really getting into all of the the Tarantino movies and stuff and to me Samuel Jackson was one of the coolest people on the whole planet at that point I, I mean I'm, I know you're a big fan of Quentin Dave I, I feel like you probably feel the same right yeah there's kind of like I, I will always have a soft spot and a huge pop for a Samuel L. Jackson cameo in things. In anything, uh, just as Samuel yeah. Jackson, yeah. I, that's all he really plays anymore. That's all he needs to do. Yeah, imagine um, being paid to be yourself because you're that. You've you figured it out that much. But yeah, as well, this was coming at a, a period in video games where Rockstar were the only people doing this, where they were going in yeah. re- like consistently and getting big names in their games you know like we could read off we've already done the read off of the list of people that show up in fucking vice city um but san andreas is also no exception and uh, yeah samuel jackson is the the pick of the crop i would say yeah um, i had in my also runs i had young melee down for being cj just because you know yeah. you kind of as the player character you're always going to have a bit of a an association with him but uh, I, I i can't argue with samuel l jackson getting the nod here he was just brilliant uh he brought a real authenticity and bite to the character and you know as much as i so i think your previous example and and, and again the same day the hater i think those characters are, are brought to life right there's something about the the sweet spot that gta does and it's not just with the music but it, it's with the characters as well where the little bit of familiarity that sort of they gradually feed in to this whole world that they've created um it just it gives it that sparkle and that shine bringing in samuel L. jackson to be like the main antagonist of your of your game it it's just it's 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 a great choice it's it's a really smart decision that they made here and and you're right dave the only really rock star i think were the ones around this time you kind of had the money that could really make this happen so i'm glad they they took a swing here and and they haven't done it as much um since uh, san andreas where they've gone big and brought in like like a well, massive name to be a voice in, in gta to this level that i can think of yeah well, one within the Rockstar universe that I, I have to shout out because it was just like it is the source of so much controversy. And in all the times we've talked about it and when we've done it on Book Club, I don't think we've mentioned this fact. Uh, Manhunt, uh, the infamous PS2 uh, era game, um, it was banned in a lot of places. Um, just the, the snuff film simulator from Rockstar that I think we can all safely say was the most rock star that Rockstar ever got in terms of pushing the boat out. But the uh, maniacal director who is shouting through CCTV, making you perform all these grisly and gruesome murders, is played by Brian Cox. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I had it's no not, idea. It, it's not something we think about that much. But yeah, Brian Cox in Manhunt. And I'm sure he doesn't want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, that was in my my also-rans as well. Um 
my second choice though uh, I've got to go with i got to hit the Troy Baker double and i got to go Troy Baker and Courtney Draper Bioshock Infinite I don't want to I don't want to spend two straight shows just gushing about this but um, the relationship between Booker DeWitt and Elizabeth uh, in this game is just it has the same kind of like um, emotional weight to it for me that um Joel and Ellie had and the idea like this just goes to show what a just a an unbelievable performer in the medium Troy Breaker is that he had these two games come out within about four months of each other two massively different performances with two different actresses as his kind of uh, as his co-star and he gets genuine connections and breeds genuine life into the characters. And this to say nothing of like a Courtney Draper, who is incredible as this kind of the journey Elizabeth goes on from this kind of innocent uh, bird in a cage at the start of the game when you meet her in Columbia to kind of understanding her role in the universe and her powers and, and things like that to almost becoming scared of her ability uh, or her abilities and her like almost godlike powers and then kind of still adding a really kind of uh, innocent human level to that and her performance gets even better when you go into like the DLC the Buried at Sea where she becomes this kind of femme fatale in another parallel universe still as Liz um, yeah just just two incredible performances in that game um, that once again I, I think the key thing about a lot of these uh, ones we're going to mention is that the games in question uh, the thing you're looking for for a seminal acting performance a, a notable one is that the game would be much worse without it and this is certainly the case for Booker and Liz yeah ag- agreed um, I that's another game that I need to play all the way through Bioshock Infinite Again, that's another thing that yeah. I, I'd never, like myself, sat down and uh, and actually had a go with with me behind the controls. So uh, it, it feels like it's the right amount of like gunslinging fun when the action is happening, and the right amount of twisting your melon and scratching that kind of weird sci-fi itch that I think you're gonna. I don't know if you're going to be as very few people are as high a man on it as I am, but. Uh, I think you will be a high man on it uh, when you do eventually sit down. Maybe you should check and see if it's in that sale. I should. I'll have a look. Uh, Right. So my next thing. So, Dave, did I ever tell you what the definition of insanity is? Because insanity (laughs) is doing the exact same fucking thing over and over and expecting shit to change. Those are the somewhat infamous words of uh, Vass, the, I'd say like the sort of right-hand guy, but by far the most interesting uh, antagonist in Far Cry 3. And uh, this is, so Far Cry 3, I remember when it came out, um, it was a massive technical achievement at the time. Like the game looked incredible. Yeah, if that you, fucking cry engine, mate. Oh Jesus! And it just, you know, if you were one of their sort of PC gaming uh, master races, as, as they styled themselves at the time, and you had like an uh, Uber system, and you could put this game out at like its full capacity, you looked at it, and you just thought, wow, like the the water, everything, but that much power and that much uh, graphical clout that we hadn't really seen allowed Michael Mando 
to give this, and you were talking about motion capture performances before, Dave, to just give this performance of, of Vars and you know, you watched him and he brought this sort of like juddery energy, like a guy who was just permanently on the knife edge of, of, of being like your friend and then also being a complete fucking psychopath. And he just, this intensity and the way he would, you know, the scenes with him where he would kind of prowl around an area and and just, just own the space. And uh, to me, like owning the space, on a, in a video game where you're in a studio and you're covered in a suit with like little ping pong balls and your every move is being captured like that's how fucking good of an actor Michael Mando is now I don't need to tell anybody that's seen one of my favorite shows Better Call Saul and his his portrayal of Nacho Varga and that it's, it's it's different level but this is the first uh, time I clapped eyes on on and they even made the character basically just look like Michael Mando because I just think they were so engrossed with how good he was and 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 the fact that you know Vars is is pretty much killed off in Far Cry 3 spoilers sorry to say for like a 12 year old game but they they refused uh Far Cry have kind of the guys that developed the game have kind of refused and a little backtracked since to say no you know we're not gonna sort of confirm or deny if he's definitely dead which makes me think at some point they kind of push the button on on Vars at some point and bring him back in a future game but um like just a sinister, twisted performance from from uh, from Michael Mando, and it's just yeah, it, it kind of sets the tone perfectly, and and it's a real technical achievement in in acting. And this was the first time that I really appreciated what like the the level that you could get taken to with motion capture and what it could do for you. And I think this is one that would be on a lot of like you know me and david talking about a lot of things that are kind of close to our own hearts but i think if you ask the general public um a video game public i think this would probably be high on a lot of people's list don't you say uh i would say so too i never played fire cry 3 at the time but uh holy hell i've seen the the performance capture from michael mando in this and it is like it's absolutely gripping stuff um you, you can't not love it um I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Unfortunately, because I see it's coming up on your list, I'm gonna take. It's a different performance from the same franchise. You could still plow ahead if you wanted to, uh, with your character. Uh, but I don't know. It's fine. I'll tie it into this, and I'll. I'll that, that just makes another spot on my list, Dave. So I'm happy if you do this. Hey, hey. So I'm gonna go with Ellen McLean from Portal as Glados. Uh, I think in that whole franchise, in both games, she is the the backbone of the thing as both the kind of malevolent, teasing voice uh, during your your lab testing in Aperture Science in the first one. And then very much uh, like there is an element of uh, Portal 2 that is her story. Um, I, I think she's just brilliant. And that kind of... I think Portal is in a, a very good physics puzzle game, but the thing that makes it so legendary and so beloved and so replayable to this day is just how dry and dark and funny that game is. And the character that delivers that entirely in the first game and partly in the second game is Ellen McLean's GLaDOS, who is just constantly chastising you and dryly burying you and promising cake uh i mean that that became so like i mean this is when memes are just starting to become a thing right that the cake thing was everywhere the first two video game memes i distinctly remember are the skyrim one which is i used to be an adventurer but then took an arrow in the the knee. knee yeah 
uh, and the yeah, the cake is a lie. Yeah. Which was a meme like in the game as well, because, you know, there are points during puzzles where you can kind of find spaces to crawl in behind to tunnels where aperture scientists had obviously hidden in and gone mad. And there's just like scrawlings all over the walls saying the cake is a lie and drawings of the cake and drawings of, you know, people being maybe like uh, too reliant on their companion cubes and things like that. Um, Yeah. Uh, but Ella McLean's performance in that game absolutely magnificent and you have another performance in that series to draw attention yeah, to as well Jack. I mean I, I just want to echo everything that you say it's just I don't so there's a I mean I'm sorry to put another sidebar in this but there's a video um, so the lot Charlie Brooker is now beloved completely for um, Black Mirror and rightly so it's a brilliant show but before Black Mirror kids uh, if you're an old school Charlie Brooker fan he used to do you know reviews of kind of TV shows and, and break things down and he would do an end of year review which is always like the thing that I would look forward to like the, after Christmas it would be his his green wipe series and his yearly wipe oh. series are worth picking out if you can find They're them fantastic it's one of the treasured things on my external hard drive that I will never delete it's like all four or five seasons of screen wipe yeah but he does this um, in his last uh, yearly review. He does this thing where he's like, I miss meh. You know, I miss people having a general, like, dispassionate attitude and just not being as, like, fucking jazzed up and angry all the time on the internet. Because, you know, the pro internet was just kind of nerds who were, like, unimpressed by things. Um, so to me, like, this performance in Portal, this sort of detached you know, emotionless robot in a in a really kind of nerdy game is it's the height of what was that popular behaviour and humour at the time. Like it was absolutely spot on perfect that kind of nah, you know, whatever, like, oh yeah, you're you know, you're succeeding doing this, uh, it doesn't really you know, that it it's just it, it encapsulated the time. Um but yeah, so Paul I I chose um Stephen Merchant in, in Portal Two, who uh, is playing Wheatley uh, who's a pers- is a personality core? I think is uh, is his official um, designation. Basically, he's like a sort of blinking eye in the sky. Um, if you looked at uh, what Wheatley was, you might be a little bit freaked out by it. Like, there's a little sort of old school, creepy sci-fi to it. But with Stephen uh, Merchant's voice, basically just being Stephen Merchant and uh, sort of generally amusing throughout the whole game, uh, it it to me it. It elevated because you've got the real dynamic there. You've got the sort of dispassionate like um, analysis of Gladys uh, uh, generally being unimpressed, but then you've got you know this sort of chaotic performance from from Stephen Merchant who manages to bring like a piece of machinery completely to life in a way that it's very on purpose that Gladys isn't uh, isn't a human or isn't any kind of you know relatable humanoid in in a way so yeah i i just wanted to give a, a shout out to Stephen merchant and uh when it comes to both of those performance dave all i want to say is this was a triumph i'm making mm-hmm. a note here huge success uh, tremendous stuff uh give me your number four while i have you whew. number four um this one it's more of a recent one and i i, I was talking to my friend about it the other day and he's just playing through this game now and he kind of said similar things to I think what a lot of people have said about this game is that he picked up this game 
and he couldn't really get into it uh, initially. He found it hard. He wasn't really attached to the character, and it was just generally a bit tough to get through. But then the more he played it, the more the character developed, and you know, the more the human side of the character came out. Um, that game is Red Dead Redemption 2. That character is Arthur Morgan. The performance is Roger Clark. I just think when I sit back and I think about what has moved me, like really moved me in a video game, it, it's always having a sense that your character, you know, is trying to do the right thing is trying to do right by everyone around them it it makes you believe in them like there's a sort of a flicker of light and and you can pick up this game and you're like oh cowboys i'll go around and shoot people and steal stuff and you know tie people up and drag them high on my horse and stuff that's great that's all the things that you can and should do but the way they change the story gently the way they bring arthur's health out into the open and him seeing like the people around him that is in this gang that have gone through hard times but he starts to feel dispassionate and disassociated from a lot of the people around him uh and then yeah he gets sick and he spends like the back half of the game just trying to make up for all the things he's done and there are so many of the the scenes between like him and and john marston and him and sadie uh you know there's one moment where He's basically been one of the side quests all throughout the game as a debt collector. And he goes and collects the debt from a widow and he just can't do it. And, you know, you have choices all the way through these, through this back half where you can still be evil. You can still be twisted, but you can't make that choice because it just doesn't feel on brand. And, you know, video games often hold your hand with the choices, but just the way that, you know, uh, Roger Clark just makes you care about Arthur you just feel jaded towards the end of it and you just think like this guy is going through so much and you just want him to to really be part of this rehabilitation and and you then give yourself kind of completely over to the game where you're just trying to go through it and do the things that you want to do and there's just a real sense of humanity a real grip of this is a man's last chance he's on his last legs he needs to make up for what he's doing and i just I still get emotional now when I talk about it because I just think uh, lost in all the haze of all of the nonsense um, that you know that kind of was when Red Dead came out and people's reactions to it. Buried at the heart of this game is like a really beautiful story of a man who turns from an unfeeling kind of emotionless guy just trying to survive to a man that really learns the humanity of a lot of the things around him and kind of gets this sort of inner peace and achieves it towards the end of the game and helps his friend escape the clutches of these fucking awful people that he's had to spend the time on the screen with and and just the way roger clark voices and narrates the whole thing gets me every single time like you could watch a lot of the cutscenes from this game no context and you will feel the emotions right there along with Arthur Morgan it's 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 incredible yeah sorry go a bit too uh yeah a bit too deep in the well on that one Dave but uh that one kind of meant a lot for us (laughs) yeah no uh, like again I can't really add much more to what you have except to say that like more so than a lot of um 
kind of uh, voice performances in your average video game. Um, it really feels like with Arthur Morgan, you you go on a complete journey with him. Um, and a lot of games fo- like follow the journey the character takes, you know, um, and, and, you know, brings the protagonist through their arc. But you actually start to feel the baggage and the time and the wear and the tear and just the world kind of beating down on Arthur Morgan throughout. Um, you know, I, I have my problems with that game for sure, but, you know, um, Roger Clark's performance in it is definitely one of the the big standouts and something that uh, even when I was having my frustrations with the experience of playing the game, it, it was still sucking me in, for sure. Mm. Um, To go on with my... Fourth pick, I think uh, I would have to, on behalf of a friend of the show, Matt Niner, include this one. Uh, it's not one of my personal favorite video game series, but in terms of like iconic performances, uh, Nolan North is Nathan Drake. Yeah, um, I almost put this on my list just because it kind of feels wrong not to mention it. So I'm kind of glad yeah. you have brought it here. So I like one, two and three. I really like four. Mm. Um, Because that's the one where the Last of Us guys got the reins. Um, So that it felt like more my speed. But in terms of like um, something that is kind of a popular trope in video games. And that's like the the wise cracking swashbuckling adventurer. There is very few in the modern era of video games with voice acting that can compare to Nathan Drake. And, you know, sometimes because we, we have talked about before how uh, sometimes the pre-programmed little jibes and stuff like that can get a bit grating when you're you're hitting a wall with a particular puzzle over and over again. But that's a video game problem rather than a performance problem. Uh, I think Nolan North is such a charming, witty and charismatic presence in general. And he brings all that energy into Nathan Drake and makes him come alive to the extent where this is one of those games. You'll notice there's a theme in a lot of the video games where we've talked about where there a lot of them are the kinds of ones where people for years have been begging them to be made into movies. And there's reasons for that, because a lot of the performance we've talked about are very cinematic in nature. They kind of transcend the medium they're being put into. Um, and yeah, the 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 begging for uh, an uncharted film to happen uh, over the years has been well documented. Uh, Nathan Fillion was the guy they wanted for years because he definitely brings a very Nathan Fillion as Mal Reynolds in, in Firefly energy to proceedings. Um, it's very kind of like the performance, I'd say, is kind of halfway between like Lara Croft and Indiana Jones, would you say? Yeah, it has that similar kind of swashbuckling adventure feel to it in a in a kind of almost paranormal artifact based environment. Yeah, um, and it is like the puzzles are really enjoyable in Uncharted, and that's one half of, or sorry, there's probably three. Uh, three pillars that that keep the Uncharted uh, games going, and it's the um, the puzzles, the massive action set pieces and the other one is just Nolan North uh, who he has become so closely linked with that character that I can't imagine a time where if another Uncharted game comes out you could have anybody else playing that character yeah. or any other character filling the same role as Nathan Drake it's the it's parallel just... of David Hayter isn't it like 
David yeah. Hayter was up to a point, and now I think Nolan North has kind of taken over with that notability of a video game character and a guy just being one yeah. and the same. I mean, yeah, there's like you flip a coin nowadays in video games. If it's a if it's a white male protagonist, uh, flip a coin. It's either Nolan North or Troy Baker. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There was a time um, when Nathan Fillion was involved quite a bit as well, but I don't know if he does as much anymore. Um, I'm not. I'm not so sure. Um, what is your fifth and final pick, my friend? Oh, I've got a couple on the list here. Um, should we do notable mentions after? afterwards or should yeah. i do notable mentions now do like 15 20 seconds on each one or or just or should we looking at the time i think that might be a good idea sorry we'll kind of are, are looking at the time yeah i think maybe that's a good idea our fifth pick will be the the almost made the elite four yeah um so on my list i've got i've got four left um so to start off with um this is kind of a cheat in a way because it kind of existed as a concept before it was in video game form. But Mark Hamill's portrayal of the Joker in the Arkham games is is world class. But Mark Hamill's portrayal of the Joker in the Batman animated series is is world class. Uh, he gives this character like a sort of a, a real transition between what the serious elements of the Christopher Nolan was. And then, like, what the sort of more light-hearted elements of the previous Batman was. And he just takes those two and he straddles both those lines, which I think of all characters that works with perfectly. It's the Joker. Um, and I can yeah. see that you've got uh, this down on, on your list as well, Mark. But you've... you've uh, Mark, sorry, Dave. But you've got... Uh, sorry, it's because I just read Mark Hamill again. Um, but you've got, like... Uh, uh, a few other members of the cast like uh, Kevin Conroy in particular is is so good and and it was just like ready made cast wasn't it like the animated series yeah. is so great and you just pick all these people up and drop them into this video game a couple of decades later yeah it's just it's so good and it's like as well as just being an excellent game the the voice casting it's the like you said it's the most open goal in the world let's just bring in the voice cast of the most popular like uh, Batman adaptation of its time um, that animated series has such an emotional resonance for people our age and slightly older um, it's just it's chum in the water for, for nerds like us and yeah um, Hamill's performance of the Joker is the most iconic by far but uh, I also think Kevin Conroy is the best voice oh, so good. Uh, of Batman yeah. and uh, Arlene Sorkin as well just the absolute incredible yeah. harley quinn she's like. awesome yeah she's i mean yeah it, it's fair to mention all of them but i just think i have a real soft spot for mark hamill i think being a wide-eyed like nine ten year old when they first did the star wars remasters and sitting in the cinema and seeing him as luke i think i've just always had a real soft spot for the guy i think he's kind of like now as well it's just he kind of feels like the world's crazy uncle uh you know who does a bit of this does a bit of that and it's just genuinely engaging and great guy um so Cockknocker. <laughs> he is in fact Cockknocker in Jay and Silent Bob. Uh <laughs> I've got three uh three left. So one I want to mention is David Bateson, who is the voice of Agent Forty Seven in the Hitman games. Not but And fun fact, also Helmut Kruger and Sheik Zanzibar. <laughs> <laughs> he is the uh, also Tobias Reaper, uh who is Agent Forty Seven's uh ever uh alias in all of these games, Mr. Reaper. There's just a nice, like a real kind of deep, silky quality to David Bateson's voice. 
Um, the way that, because, you know, Agent 47's kind of like, uh, he had a barcode on his head for, for fuck's sake. Like, there's no real character development necessarily, but I just love the dark sense of humor that underpins all of the comments. Like, the sort of, you know, Sean Connery winking at the camera, James Bond like moments, but the way he delivers it in that stern, kind of almost emotionless voice with a real deep resonance and a real presence like you can feel the fucking presence of david bateson in these games right oh yeah uh 100 i have such a i'm not that i don't like i love the the hitman games i don't know if i know a human being alive that loves them more than you so i won't claim to, to be on a par with you with that passion but uh yeah i it's another one of those where like the dry delivery of a lot of lines really gets me um yeah in his performance uh that that's that's kind of my my enduring memory of it so i dug in and i went to pick up later the one-liners but then i'm thought like without the scenarios you don't yeah that it's not as good it doesn't really make sense so if you just go on youtube and just look at like especially the last two hitman games just look at like the best lines of david bateson and he's this, this delivery of them it's it's so good um but mm. yeah uh age of 47 uh two more one of them is if I said Mark Hildreth, I'm sure not many people would really have any resonance as to who that is. But Mark Hildreth is DJ Atomica from the SSX series and Burnout Paradise. Now, this is a different one because he's kind of just playing a DJ, right? So he's not necessarily a character, but what he does in these games is he narrates things that are going in and around the city in uh, in, in Burnout Paradise and in and around the peaks are of the ssx games he djs he talks about the music that he's playing he talks about what's going on in these like you know fictional virtual environments and he just generally gives a sense of immersiveness that things that you do in the game and the characters that are around even though they're not really necessarily hugely developed it just gives you that little bit of a sense of identity as to who they are and it makes you feel like you're part of a bigger world even though you're just playing essentially action sport games and and to me one of the reasons i love ssx3 is that sense that this this mountain is a living breathing thing and dj atomica makes me feel like i'm part of that when i play i mean have you do you have uh, similar thoughts, Dave? If you played much of of the uh, Burnout Paradise or SSX games, I must confess, not so much. Yeah, um, it's one of those SSX and Burnout. Uh, I I've dabbled more in Burnout than SSX, but both are kind of those franchises that you ended up playing if a lot of your mates were playing it. Um, and the the car racing series, uh, a lot of people played uh, around me at the time was Need for Speed. So I was more of a Need for Speed guy back in like the PS2 era. Um, and as for uh, SSX, never really, although it seems like something that if I had picked up, I would have been into. Yeah, I, I, I do recommend it at some point if you get to it. But, you know, there's a lot of things on your pile as we've covered, so that might be uh. a tough one. Doing this podcast has actually made me think about a lot of things that I kind of never really got to grips with, even though I kind of know enough about it to get through. Um, so Bioshock yeah, Infinite, mate. My, uh, <laughs> my pile is getting bigger by the moment here. Uh, and finally, to me, the most iconic, instantly identifiable video game character in the world. And if you said to most people, do the voice of this character, they would be giving you the work of Charles Martinet. And that is Mario. Um, I mean, he obviously does Luigi, he does baby, the Baby Mario, Baby Waluigi and Wario. But everything about 
Mario that you know, which is very little because <laughs> they don't really do much uh, in the way of personality development. But you just get all the little, you know, oh no, and like, you know, little noises when it's jumping and, you know, the little characterizations that kind of add to the character. Like, when I was doing a bit of reading before we did the podcast, I, I read that, like, originally they wanted him to be this sort of gruff, like, Brooklyn, New York style voice. Like, a Bob bit, Hoskins. A bit more <laughs> in the vein of the Hoskins, yeah, and the Super Mario movie, in which we find out Mario's name is Mario Mario, which makes Lu- yeah. Luigi luigi mario which is just not right um this is a character that doesn't need fucking characterization right so this is a a character that is just you know he starts off as the jump man originally and then you know it's not really till we get to i mean there were a few little instances before charles martinet but when we get to super mario 64 like we can hear mario talk and his little reactions and utterances and stuff that just it, it makes the character feel more just like that a little bit cartoony and in a good way i mean that um, and it just yeah it's it it's become iconic a part of him the things that he says he doesn't really change it up that much doesn't really need to um this guy this guy who's like you know does like very sparse voiceovers for for lots of games all the time playing the same character and gets paid a lot of money for it so it's it's pretty much yeah. the ideal job but charles martinet is every bit as iconic as mario himself i think in his deliveries mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the number, like, it, it is the most identifiable video game character in history and yeah. the most identifiable voice. Uh, there's no touching it, number one with a bullet for sure. Um, in terms of my list, I've got a few here to hit upon. Uh, Camilla Ludington, who plays Lara Croft in the rebooted Tomb Raider games, um, I, I think deserves such a special mention because, Jack, the force of acting it needs to take between uh, voice and performance capture to make what the character of Lara Croft was in the 90s into a human and relatable actual person is is Trojan work. Agreed, yeah. Um, this was a, this was a, a character who was basically there for 90s tweens to ogle at uh, in the middle of games and she's just an interesting damaged and traumatized character throughout these Tomb Raider reboots and I think the best part of these games is is probably the, the puzzles I think they do tomb puzzles better than Uncharted does and I think they do set pieces just as good as Uncharted does but you can't you can't go too long without mentioning just how when you stop and think about it for a while, the fact that Lara Croft is actually an interesting video game character just fucking does my head in. I can't get over it. I mean, it's, it's to me, it was a good combination of um, of the the performances in in these games by uh, Camilla Ludington and to get Rihanna Pratchett like having an actual fucking not that, that there's really it's still a paucity of of um, of, of <laughs> like women writers in video games, which to me is mm. astounding. But to give like a, a a woman's voice and th- actually be written by a woman, I think it really made a huge amount of difference. It it made the character a lot have a lot more dimensions to it, and then feel a lot more probably relatable for for people understanding it. Like just you know, like at the end of the day, that team reading is stressful, right, Dave? And like you really get yeah. the 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 level of performance from from Camilla Ludington like that, and it, mm-hmm. you actually feel it. And that was just something that was completely absent before when Lara Croft, I mean, she was an object. 
originally it wasn't she and, yeah. and to go from an object to something completely like understandable and relatable it, it it's mm. it's a, it's remarkable i think half the reason that we got the reboot of the tomb raider movie even though it wasn't great a few years ago is because of the success that we've had from these uh, rebooted mm. tomb raider games and, and people realizing that lara croft can have a lot more dimensions than just double dimensions if you get what i mean yeah, and I still bear a significant grudge with that movie because you managed to make a movie with uh, Alicia Vikander as the star and it wasn't good. Yeah. It, it, that um, seemed like it could have been a home yeah. And I got it wrong. Uh, Ex Machina, still one of my favourite movies oh. in years and years. You made me watch that and it still chills me to this day. <laughs> Doesn't it just? Um, other stuff on my list here um, that I haven't mentioned before. I did mention Young Melee as CJ. Uh, mentioned Brian Cox and Manhunt. Mentioned the Arkham Asylum cast. Uh, pretty much everybody in LA Noir. We've talked a lot about Rockstar on this and they're kind of the pioneers of performance capture and... and uh, getting actors, capital A, in in their games. And L.A. Noir was really like the kind of, that idea turned up to 20. Like it was, they really captured that kind of noir detective story um, with the, the performance capture in particular because the whole mechanic of that game is, you know, being able to read people's facial expressions and little... Um, little expressions that glance across their face and try and uh, determine whether they're telling the truth or a lie. Um, so performance is so intertwined with with that game and the quality of that game. And getting in some proper actors, but not like A-listers who are going to like completely break the suspension of disbelief. you got people like Greg Grunberg, who I think is probably best known for being in Heroes, but he's been like a a bit part player in, in so many different things. You know his face, um, there's like a couple of the actors from Mad Men are in L.A. Noir. Dan Reichert is in L.A. Noir. Is he really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a he's like a pedestrian on a street at some point in it because he was doing a Game Informer feature when they were making it. Oh god! So he got scanned and put in the game. I don't think he has like a, a line or anything like that. But yeah, uh, that's a fun fact. Gr- Grunberg um, is one of those prototypical. Hey, it's that guy, guys. Oh, he's absolutely a that guy guy. Yeah, yeah. 100%. But uh, yeah, that game is just, it, performance is so crucial to it that I don't think we could ever have one of these lists and not mention L.A. Noir. Um, so I've done so now. Uh, and then the uh, the final one on my list, uh, one of my personal faves of all time, kind of in the same way that like uh, Charles Martinet does Trojan work as Mario and, and others in, in uh, Mario games, uh, Chris Sutherland and Grant Kirkhope for voicing almost every character in Banjo-Kazooie <laughs> between them. <laughs> nice um, go out on a high note there you need to play that those games to understand how weird that is because the wild and wonderful noises so many of those characters make because they don't really speak they they make it like an array of noises and honks <laughs> while the, the text is scrolling in the background so you need to have played the games to appreciate how weird it is that it's actual humans making those noises um, and obviously I'm including Grant Kirkhope here because I think I committed a cardinal sin on our music episode by not mentioning Grant Kirkhope's scores for uh, all the rare games in the N64 era so now I've got Grant Kirkhope in well done you got him over uh, <laughs> a couple of decades too late yeah got him over the line Um yeah, cool. That was an interesting topic, Jack. And um, I, I think uh, 
I think because it's like talking about a story over uh, over gameplay, I don't think Mark will be too sad that he missed it, even though he might have a couple to chip in himself. Um, thanks, everybody, uh, yeah. for joining us Chip in again. on Twitter. I want to hear it. Like, if anyone's got good suggestions of... of yes. Uh, I just want to know what other people think, you know, people that they admired in video games, things that made a difference. So generally, mm-hmm. just tweet us at Link to the Cast and tell us what your, your favourite video game performances were, because... Uh, you know, look I, at that. Few few months into the permanent co-host and all, he's hitting the plug like a motherfucker. <laughs> but like, you know, things that mean a lot to me and you, having you know, kind of similar um, tastes and stuff. Like, there would have been a few. There were a few overlaps of things that we want on this. So I want something left field. I don't necessarily know from somebody, and then I can go like discover this yeah. whole other thing. So yeah, this is all about yeah. sharing and discovery. Yeah, give us some weird shit at link to the cast that's where you can go to not only tell us your favorite acting performance in the video games but just keep up when the shows are posted and any other bullshit we're talking about during the week we are going to keep uh, trying to put out more regular programming for the foreseeable future so hopefully we will have Mark Robinson back in studio with us next week uh, until then stay safe we hope you're all well uh, talk to you again soon as we talk some more bullshit about video games Leaders.